Of all the I am statements of Jesus that we've studied in this series, the the one that we'll study today and the one we're going to finish up with is really the foundation for all of the others. If this one isn't true, if, if this one isn't true for you, then really none of the rest of them matter. None of the rest of them count for you. If this one isn't true, none of the rest of them can, can be true. They may be clever, or they may be poetic, or they may be uh, a nice analogy or illustration, but they can't be true apart from this one I am statement being absolutely true and true for you. John chapters 13 through 17 is an extended peek into the upper room. Um, the, the upper room is where Jesus met with his disciples the night he was betrayed and arrested. And they celebrated the Passover meal together. And, and you may remember, you may not remember, the Passover meal was a symbolic meal that the Jewish people cel- celebrated annually to remind them of the time that God freed their ancestors from Egypt. That Moses spoke on behalf of God to Pharaoh and said, my people are going to go. They're going to go to the promised land. Let them go. Release them from bondage and slavery. And if you know the story, um, Pharaoh uh, said no over and over again. And a series of plagues came, culminating in the death of the firstborn. The Passover meal reminds the Jewish people that their ancestors were saved from God's judgment that night through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so Jesus is teaching this meal. He's going through all of the symbolism, realizing that he is that lamb, that he will be sacrificed. It won't happen annually. He will be sacrificed once and for all. There will never need to be another sacrifice All of sin will be atoned for, for those who put their faith and trust in Him. Every symbol of this meal was pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards what He was getting ready to do. Now, John gives an extensive account of what Jesus says in the upper room. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give less than a chapter to what happens in the upper room. That just wasn't where they were focusing. John gives five chapters of what Jesus said and did in the upper room. Chapter 13, there's several events. Judas is somewhat exposed. Judas leaves the room in chapter 13. So now it's Jesus and his 11 disciples, 12 minus Judas. And Jesus begins to teach the 11 in John chapter 14. Jesus writes, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is well aware not only of his, his, his own suffering that's about to come, but he's focused, think, think about this, knowing what he is about to experience himself, knowing the cruel death, the suffering, the beating, the crucifixion that Jesus is about to endure, His attention in this moment is on the other 11, to to preparing them, to getting them ready for what they are about to face. And his, his word to them is, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be agitated, stirred up. That 
that rumbling of anxiety that comes. We all know what that's like. Some of us feel it maybe more than others, but we all know what that sense of panic is like when we don't know what's going to happen. We've played out all of the worst-case scenarios. We've gotten bad news. Tragedy has struck. And Jesus' comment to his disciples is, don't let your hearts be troubled. And the trouble that is coming is a real trouble. I mean, we stand on this side of the story looking back almost 2,000 years. We know the level of trouble that's coming. This is real. This is heavy. This is deep. Jesus isn't cautioning his disciples against being worriers about every little thing. He's not saying, you need to stop worrying about the small things. Other places in the Bible kind of deal with some of that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus knows this is going to be intense. This is going to turn their world upside down. This is a huge storm that is about to roll into their lives. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right? Some of us tend to be worriers. Like some of us tend to worry about every little thing, part of our makeup, part of our personality, something we wrestle with all the time. Jesus is not addressing, don't worry about the small things. Jesus knows this is a huge, huge moment that is about to come into their life. So we can't take Jesus' words, do not let your hearts be troubled, and respond by saying, well, my situation's different. Right. Well, well, what I'm going through is a lot bigger. No, what, what you're going through may be big. I'm not discounting that. I'm not dismissing that. What the disciples are about to face is going to completely change their life. Everything they've believed in, everything they've counted on, they're going to think has been destroyed. They're going to find themselves on the wrong end of an angry mob Jesus knows this, and his comment is, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's not not saying there might be some troubling times coming. It could get difficult. Jesus knows it is about to get really difficult. But his comment means that troubling times will come. But the trouble outside, the pressure we feel outside doesn't have to cause trouble inside. Trouble times are coming. Bad news is going to come sometimes. Suffering is going to come sometimes. Loss is going to come sometimes. There is going to be trouble outside of the disciples, swirling around the disciples, and Jesus' comment is, you don't have to let that trouble get inside of you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Your situation may be troubling. Jesus knew it would be troubling. Your circumstances will at times be troubling, but that troubling, those troubles, don't have to get inside of you. Our world's full of chaos. Our world's full of craziness. Outside of what you and I personally experience, which sometimes is, is chaos and sometimes is pain and sometimes is hurt and sometimes as loss, and Jesus would say the same thing to us. Don't let your hearts, don't let the inside of you get troubled when there is trouble 
outside of you. John chapter 16, he's still in the upper room, just a couple of chapters later. He's still in the upper room. He's still in the middle of this teaching. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In, in this world, you're going to have pressure. You're going to get squeezed. There are going to be some times that you don't know what's coming. You don't see what's ahead. You don't know the way out. But take heart on the inside. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then Jesus says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. In in other words, as Jesus is explaining how we don't let trouble get inside of us, we don't let the chaos get inside of us, Jesus essentially says, you know what you already believe. You know what you believe. You know that you have trusted God up until this point. You know that you have been convinced that God is your father, that God is with you. You have believed me for three years. You've listened to me and you've watched me. You have believed me. Keep believing. Keep believing. We don't have to start from scratch with our belief system when difficulties come into our lives. As a matter of fact, that's the worst time to form your belief system, to form your convictions is when the trouble comes. If you've waited to that point, you're in trouble. Jesus says to the disciples, like, you've been believing up until this point. Life's about to get heavy. Life's about to get big. You are not going to understand the next 72 hours. You are not going to understand what's going to go down tonight and tomorrow and the next day. But you believe in God. You have been trusting. You have been following. You believe. Lean on what you've been believing up to this point when trouble comes. Lean on what you have been convinced of up to this point. And some of us, some of us wait until the storm to try to start figuring out what we believe about God. And God will reveal himself at times in the midst of chaos, in the midst of struggle. I'm just telling you, that's a terrible time to start that process. Some of us with our kids, I mean, you saw the kids up here. Some of us don't think about their spiritual development, their spiritual growth, what we're putting into them, the belief that we want them to have about God, the conviction that we want them to have about who God is and who Jesus is. Some of us don't start thinking about that in our kids till the wheels come off. And then suddenly we want to patch up their spiritual belief system. Jesus says to the disciples, you already believe. You are already convinced. Don't let trouble unconvince you of what you've already believed because you know it's it's the truth. In troubling experiences, we don't have to recreate our belief system. We don't have to modify our belief system. We believe that God is true and Jesus is I am and he is enough, and he is sufficient. You see, when life is troubling, remember what you already believe. That's what Jesus is saying. When life is troubling, when the pressure comes, 
when things don't work out the way we thought they were going to work out, just go back to what you already believe. We, we have a tendency, it's just as people, just, just as, as humans, we, we, we have a tendency to form our beliefs based on our experiences. To, to shift our beliefs based on our experience. So I experienced a struggle, and, and from that I assume, well, God must not be here. Or I see an injustice, and so I, I change my view of God's character or even God's existence. We have, a, we have a real tendency as people to define God based on our experiences. And so what happens is we, we're constantly, continually updating our view of God. We're constantly deciding, well, that must not be true. Well, what I thought must not be true. Jesus is saying, let's do the exact opposite. Let's discover what is true and what is real, and let's believe that. And then when troubles come, let's hold on to that. Let's lean on that instead of running from that. When trouble gets here, remember what you already believe. Times of trouble are not the time to abandon what you believe. They're the time to lean on what you believe. Times of trouble, not the time to abandon what you believe. They're, they're the time. That's when it counts. That's when you need it. That's why God has prepared your belief up to that point. So that you would have something to lean on. You would have a foundation to stand on. And, and yes, there's sort of another side of it. And that is... Often our view of God does deepen through our experiences. And in that sense, experiences are valuable because we trust God, but we learn that He's really there when we walk through difficult times. And so in one sense, our, our view of God deepens when we walk through experiences, but we don't redefine what we know to be true about God just based on our experiences. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep holding on to what you know to be true before the trouble gets here. Then Jesus goes on. My father's house, Jesus says, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. So, remember what you already believe when trouble times come. And then secondly, live with an, with an eternal perspective. Jesus, knowing what they're about to walk through, reminds them anything that's going to happen next is not the end. Anything you're about to experience is not the final chapter. I want you to remember, and they don't even know what's coming. Jesus said, I want you to remember, when you walk into this difficulty, there is a life to come. That, that, that doesn't mean that this life is unimportant at all. That doesn't mean that our decisions and our actions in this life don't matter because there's another life. Of course they matter. 
But in order for us to make the most of this life, in, in, in order for us to avoid wasting this life, we have to live it with a view of the next life. And Jesus challenges his disciples, even through the darkness of what's about to happen, even through the tragedy of what's about to happen, don't ever forget, I'm preparing a place for you. There's more to come. Whatever you face right now doesn't get the last word in your life. And he uses the analogy of, I'm going to go prepare a room. Or um, the King James, if you memorize the King James, you remember the King James, I'm going to go prepare a mansion for you, right? Isn't that great? Some translations say room. Some later on, the NIV just says, it's, just, it's a place. I'm going to go make a place for you. Um, Last week, Roy talked about abiding in Christ, the vine and, and abiding. It's from that same word. I'm going to go make a place for you to abide forever in the presence of God. And the King James said it was a mansion. And other, room say, other uh, translations say it was a room. And other translations say it's a place. It, it doesn't really matter what it is. It doesn't matter which one of those it is when we get there. We, um, I've told you before we have a... We have an annual family reunion on my mother's side of the family, and we stay at uh, a a rustic would be a a a step up from what it actually is a rustic 4-H camp that's um, about 3,000 years old <laughs> and um, has all original facilities, uh, block cinder block buildings. Those are the cabins, and every there's, I don't know, 20 cabins or so. Our, our family has a highly sophisticated way of deciding where everybody spends the weekend. It's post-it notes. Um, when somebody from your immediate family gets there, they take a post-it note, and they put it on the door of one of these old cabins, and that's how you know that one's yours. Your family's probably not that sophisticated. Mine is. So we put a post-it note. This is where Elaine, that's my mom, this is where Elaine's family is going to be, and this family, and this family, and this family. And you know what? It doesn't really matter which one you get. They're all the same. They're all the same. And you didn't go there for the cabin anyway. You definitely didn't go for the cabin. You went because people who love you are there, and you're going to abide in the presence of people who love you and have known you your whole life. And they're going to tell stories about when you were a kid and pull out embarrassing pictures. And, and you're going to have this conversation with people that you love. And it doesn't matter which one your name is stuck on. All that matters is your name stuck on one, right? That's all that matters. I just want a place. Just give me a place and let me be there. Well, that's the beauty of John chapter 14. I, I don't know if it's a mansion. Be fine with me if it's a mansion. I don't know if it's a room. I don't know if it's a play. I don't know what it is. I just want my name on one of them. I just want my name there. Because it's not about that place. It's about abiding in the presence of the one who, have, who has loved me longer and more fully than anyone else has ever loved me. Being in the presence of God, his son Jesus who died for me, the Holy Spirit that's been at work in me ever since I came to faith in Jesus. It's being in that presence. And Jesus says, guys, it's going to get dark. It's going to get hard. 
You are not going to understand. Pressure's going to come. You're going to be tempted to panic. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You know what you believe, and one day we're going to be together anyway. One day we're going to all be together anyway, and this isn't even going to matter. You're going to look back on this. This isn't even going to count in your reflections other than for the way that it brought glory to God because you walked through it. And the same is true for us. Listen, let me, let me just take a minute right here and say to you, there, there is nothing about your life that matters more than having your name there. Nothing. Now, maybe it's on a post-it note. I don't know. I don't know how Jesus is going to do it. Maybe we get there, it's a post-it note. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is. Look, you want your name to be there. Or else you're going to walk through this life, and the troubles are still going to come, and the struggles are still going to come, and you're going to experience life on earth, and you're going to miss eternal life. Nothing more important today than that you know the Jesus who was speaking Right here. No matter what you do in this world. No matter what you live. Maybe you live in a mansion in this world. Maybe you, maybe you live in a house or a room. or I don't know what you live in. It doesn't matter what you live in in this world. What matters is your name's on a place in the next world. And if that's not true of you, today is the day that you would give your life to Jesus. That you would know this one who's preparing places. Now Jesus, at the end of that... Verse 4, he says, You know the way to the place where I'm going. And I think, I'm reading stuff into it, I'll admit it, I think he paused and just scanned the room. You know the place where I'm going. Has anybody ever assumed you knew something that you didn't know? They credited you with knowledge that you didn't have, but you didn't want them to know you didn't have that knowledge. Well, everybody's done this before. I mean, you've done this before, haven't you? Yeah, some of you are nodding right now. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. Well, everybody knows about this. Remember back in history when this thing happened, there was that leader. I mean, you studied that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I was reading about that yesterday. Just... I know, I wrote a paper about that. Uh, did I? I know all about that. Now, some of us have that tendency more than others. Come on, all of us have done it. We did it to get out of a conversation. We just didn't want to go on with the conversation, maybe. Or we did it because we didn't want to look foolish. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then we went home and Googled it. Right? We pulled up YouTube. Oh, that's what, I never heard of that. That... Okay, I'm reading a little bit into it. That is what I think happens in the upper room. You know the place where I'm going, and ten disciples go, sure do. Yeah, we know, absolutely. I was going that way just yesterday. <laughs> and then there's Thomas. Now, Thomas takes a lot of heat for what's going to happen in, in, a, in a few days. We call him Doubting Thomas. I mean, he gets a lot of grief. I'm glad he wasn't doubting Thomas. I'm glad he was honest, Thomas. I'm glad he just said, I, I don't have a clue. Like, back to train up, Jesus. And Thomas, you can read it. Thomas says, 
I don't know what place you're talking about, let alone how to get to that place. Thomas is just honest. And this is how we meet Jesus, isn't it? We don't meet Jesus with presumption. We don't meet Jesus trying to convince everybody what we know and how good we, we meet Jesus when we're honest and we go, I don't know. I don't have any, I don't have any way. I, I don't know. Jesus, I'm, I'm counting on you to tell me because I don't know. That's what Thomas does. I, I, I don't know. I give. And this is where Jesus makes the I am statement. In verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, Thomas. I don't know if Jesus winked at him or gave him a signal, but Jesus knew nobody else in the room would have got the quiz right either. Thomas, thank you for asking. I'm the way. I'm the only way to get to the place that my Father and I have prepared for you. I'm the way. We started back in January a chapter a day, Monday through Friday, reading. Some of us are doing it together. I'm posting some comments on, on the church Facebook page. We read through John. Uh, just re- we just finished like a week ago. We read through John, and boy, I just saw again how much John emphasized believing and not believing. It just comes up over and over again in, 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 the, in the book of John. If you haven't read it lately, go Read it again and look for the words believe or didn't believe, believe or not believe. John just keeps coming back to this idea. The most famous verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, in that Son, shall not perish but have eternal life. Believe, believe, believe. And here, the biggest moment, other than the crucifixion and resurrection, the biggest moment, the clearest statement of, of where John was going theologically is right here. Jesus, you are the way, the only way. God loved us so much, wanted to redeem us to himself so much, was committed to restoring our relationship so much, That he sent his son not to point the way, to be the way. That Jesus would be the avenue that we would get back to God. He would be the way we would get back to God. Jesus didn't just point. He he wasn't a sign. If, If I were off somewhere and I wanted you to get to me, I could send one of my kids. I'd pick one that's not directionally challenged, but I would send one of them. And they could tell you the way to get to me. They could, they could show you the way. They couldn't be the way. Je- Jesus didn't say, I'll show you the way. I'll point the way. He said, I'm the way. You've you got to believe and trust in Him in order to get to where God is to be forgiven and have eternal life. Now, that means a couple of things. When Jesus says he's the way, that's an exclusive claim. 
If we're going to teach about Jesus, we, we, we can't deny. Jesus did not say, I'm a way, I'm a good way, or even I'm the best way. He didn't say, I'm one of a bunch of ways. He said, I'm the way. And then he followed that up with, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And we don't believe that arrogantly. We don't teach that arrogantly. We don't proclaim that arrogantly. We believe and teach and proclaim that because Jesus said it was the truth. That there's not some other way. There's not some other path. It's why we must be committed to introducing people to this person. We say we want you to be close to Jesus and close to people because we want to bring those together. We want more people to meet this Jesus who is the way, not one of the only way that people can get from this life to eternal life with God. Why do we encourage you to invite people next Sunday to Easter? People are thinking about religious things. People, many people go to church on Easter, whether they go to church any other time. That's a moment that they could get introduced to this Jesus because he is the way to eternal life for you and for them. It's an exclusive claim. We, we struggle with exclusive claims today. We struggle with being accused of being too narrow or being too judgmental not being open-minded enough. I just know that Jesus said so clearly before he died, I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive claim. And if Jesus is the way, then we're not the way. If Jesus is the way, we're not the way. Me being better and getting better is never going to be the way. Me improving my behavior is never going to be the way to heaven. Me being a good dad or a good husband or a good person or a loyal employee, that's never going to be the way. We're not the way. There is nothing that you and I can do to gain or earn our salvation other than to believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again because he's the way. I mentioned at the beginning, all of the other I am statements are contingent on this one. In order for him to be the bread of life for you, the, the sustainer that you need, you've got to believe he's the way. In order for him to light your way, your path, your light, in order for that to be implemented in your life, you've got to take a step where you say, I believe Jesus is the way. In order for him to be the shepherd that protects you and guides you, you have to believe he's the way. The only way to abide in him is to believe he's the way. And the only way to salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. Now, last thought. I want to land this series here. When Jesus says, when he uses the, the statement, I am. When he says, I am. He's also saying that we don't have to be. When Jesus says he is bread, light, shepherd, he's also saying, also saying 
you don't have to measure up somehow. We spend a lot of, we spend a lot of our time trying to measure up, trying to be something, trying to prove we're somebody, trying to be good enough or faithful enough, trying to find enough affirmation in this life to fill up our heart. Jesus said, He is. I am, which means we don't have to spend all of our life trying to be something because our Savior is the I am. He is the sustainer. He is the shepherd. He is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I just have to follow him. I just have to trust him and let him be I am in my life. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I just want to give you an opportunity right now to thank him for being I am in your life so that you don't have to be. All the measuring up that you've tried to do, you don't have to do that. All the earning that you've tried to do, the I am has already loved you enough to die for you. That's who you are in his eyes. If you've never trusted him, you've never fully put confidence in Jesus' life and death and resurrection for your salvation, this is the moment, this is the day. Just invite him into your life. Tell him that you know you're a sinner. And you want to follow Him. Commit your life to Him right now in your words. Tell Him that you want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Or if that's you, we'd love to know about it. There's a place on the card. You can let us know that you're a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be here after the service. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you committed your life to Christ a month ago or a year ago or five years ago, and you were never obedient to be baptized to let people know, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. We'd love to celebrate baptism with you. You let us know. Mark it on that card. Talk to me after the service. God, thank you that Jesus is all we need. Jesus is everything we would strive for and work for. Only He can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. There are people right now in this room who are walking through difficulties and struggles. Help them to remember what they already believe because that hasn't changed. You have not changed just because troubling times have come. You're still God. You're still true. You still love them. God, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know for certain that they'll spend eternity in heaven when they die, this will be the day they give their life to you. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.